You're listening to Return Again. You're listening to Return Again, where we look at Aliyah through the lens of Olim who have lived in Israel long enough to have perspective. I'm Goel Jasper, and my guest today is Rav Shlomo Katz. Rav Shlomo grew up partly in Los Angeles and partly in Israel, and it was the combined experiences in both countries that led him on the path that brought him to the world of music, Torah, and eventually the community he and his kila are working to build in Efrat. That is where I sat with Rav Shlomo recently to hear his story and explore important issues including education, Americanness, humility, and the idea of kihila in today's Israeli culture. And so, with no further ado, here's Rav Shlomo Katz, returning again. Thanks for spending some time with me and allowing me into your office and into your life for a few minutes. Honor and pleasure. <laughs> Honor and pleasure, Bemet. I want to start at the beginning. Yeah. When's the first time the concept of Aliyah or living in Israel came into your life? Do you remember? Very young age because I moved here as a kid with right. my family at the age of nine. It was my mother's, my father is kind of Israeli. He moved here when he was uh, 14 years old from Buenos Aires. Hmm. 
He ended up in America about 10 years later, but when he met my mom, it was always her passion and her dream to always get back home, come back, to, come to Eretz Yisrael. So it was always spoken about in our house, but at the age of nine, 1989, right. we moved from uh, Los Angeles to Ranana. So Aliyah has been, this is like something, this is my life. And you were here for how long? Seven back? years, uh, seven and a half years, almost eight right. years. right. And then the family had, uh, my family moved back to Los Angeles, and I came back with them, fish out of water, even though I was American, right. even though I knew the language, and I still had friends from when I was a kid, I was already a completely different, it was a completely different experience of life. And eventually I moved back here. Uh, let's see. We'll, we'll get there. Oh, okay. We'll get there. We'll but get I, there. I, I got back. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Here we yeah. are. Um, do you remember anything about pre nine, <laughs> like sure. life in sure. Los Angeles? How how given the fact that first of all, I guess you know you, you didn't come to life with with classic American parents. So so up until the age of nine, did you feel like an American kid? Did you like baseball and hot dogs and all that Jamie, stuff? I was, like, in, I was in Los Angeles. I right. was, the biggest, in the 80s. In the 80s. Lakers the biggest fan. Right? Lakers, Dodgers fan. We <laughs> right. had 1988. We had double championships. And 81 also. <laughs> right. You were young back right. then. But. <laughs> no, they were, they were really, we had a, a very much, yeah, that's the culture. But, but, yeah. I was always a Ben Eretz Israel because of my father. He spoke to me in Hebrew. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, life up until nine in the house, your father was speaking with you in Hebrew. My father only, talked to me in Hebrew most of the time, so which is interesting because when I made Aliyah, um, the the language barrier wasn't as strong as the other Olim in the class, and I moved to a place where it was a, a large percentage of Olim, Ranana. Ranana, sure. Um, but I had it. I was very lucky in that regard. So when your parents said, "Okay, we're moving to Israel." It was like a foregone conclusion, I guess, for a nine-year-old. Yeah. It was almost like, I guess because of such a ripe young age, it wasn't like, oh my God, my friends. It was one friend that I still used to write letters to, my buddy Lance. But besides that, it was, it was just, yeah, this is, we're, we're going, we're moving in the, in the way that we were always, we always knew we were going to. Right. And also what Hashem wants. That was, it was a... That was part of it. Yeah, for sure. Jewish destiny. Jewish destiny. That was, that was what it was. It was a very much a sense of this is part of the Mahalach of Am Yisrael. Even at a young age it was felt. Right, because, because you know there, there are sort of like, if I can generalize for a second, there are sort of two schools of thought in terms of Aliyah. There's, and, and for many of us, they converge. But right. there's this sort of like romantic becoming an Israeli and sandals and, you know, Yom Hatzma'ut and and that kind of stuff. And then there's the sort of like, well, we kind of have an obligation to live in the land. This is the gift that Hashem gave us. And so what was it for your family? It sounds like Mm. it was that convergent. Interesting. What a great question. (laughs) That's 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 an amazing, uh, amazing thing to ponder upon. You know what? It was more of the first thing you said. Hmm. I remember very, very clearly. Oh, wow, she brought me back to such a beautiful place. I remember watching, um, I was a Sesame Street chassid, like all kids sure. were. 
And they had a few episodes, Rechov Sumsum, where they basically, I don't know how this worked, but they showed Eretz Yisrael. And I remember seeing an image of the Carmelite in Haifa, this huge escalator, one of the first escalators there. I was like, oh, they have that there too. Um, Scenes from the Shuk. Scenes from the sandals, like what you're talking about. And that was very much part of it, you know, the kibbutz life and all those things, which is, on a cultural level, a completely different ballgame than what I was used to living in Los Angeles. However, there was one moment of it when them showing the Kotel too, and, and that was very much apparent to me. We grew up in a modern Orthodox home, you know, mm-hmm. with a lot of love for Eretz Yisrael. And, but, but definitely the initial, like the initial... You're bringing me back to a very sensitive time in life. The, I guess the initial sense of what, what we were going to was probably more this completely different culturally, uh, you know, cultural place, which will be your future home. Right. I remember the like, first right. week we got there, I was introduced to Petel. You know what Petel is? <laughs> I don't understand. Like, I never had this before in my life where you take water and then you spritz something, some kind of like grape or red... Syrup. Coloring syrup into the water, and that's the drink. So a lot of things were a little bit different. You remember that? I remember the first week we were here, staying in someone's house and eat drinking petal. But these are things you you know you laugh at now. I don't even know if it's still a thing here. Wait, did you like it? Do you remember? You know like what? a nine-year-old I, I, must have loved it. No? Nine, you know what it was? <laughs> I was almost like, this is what I'm going to start liking now. Like that was mm. the approach. Yeah. What else do you remember about, about when you first got here at nine? That I only found out the Dodgers scores every f- other Friday afternoon in the Jerusalem Post. Right. <laughs> you I were big into American culture. Yeah. Oh, my, 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 my walls were filled with uh, you know, pictures of the Lakers. and the Do- right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. So I, I have to say that. I'm having a difficult time sitting with you because I am... Both a Yankees fan uh, and a Celtics fan. Oh, boy. <laughs> so it's like, oh boy. thank God we have Torah between us. Thank God, because I'll <laughs> tell you even more than that, I, my, I, was, I don't say this to many people because it's so much cooler to say you're from Los Angeles, but I was born in New Jersey. <laughs> and my mother was born in New Jersey, and my grandmother basically raised my mother in Shea Stadium. We're Mets right. fans. Uh, do I have home. to cut that out? <laughs> That's your call. <laughs> but sports, yeah, listen, sports define the... In my age, sports really defined, you know, you the, the passionate kid, like the teams mm. they like. I don't know what it's like today. It's 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 changed the digital world. I don't really know what it. But back then, there was a lot of more pshitas. There was the simplicity. So yeah, that was that was a big change. I remember, food was definitely way different. My father would travel back and forth to the state to the states and back. He would. We were so lucky. He'd bring home like two bottles of Heinz ketchup. There was no Heinz here. Right. Right. And we'll talk about of, that later, actually, believe it or okay, not. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. But a lot of those things, they just weren't here. Um, but they became less and less important over the years, too. Right. I don't know how to explain that, other than like just remembering that those things, those delicates, those novelties, it was, it was different. It just became different. Your father is a chazan. So that was the reason why he was going back and forth. Because back then... In the 80s, it's not like, tonight, not like today. Back then, people weren't traveling back and forth all no, the time. No, no. My dad would travel, not like people travel today, but still much more than the average, the average Abba back then. 
he still had a gig in the shul in Los Angeles. So he would travel back then, and he's a musician too, so he would go back sometimes for performances or concerts or simchas that he would play at. Right. Um, and my father, I had one more friend in my class whose father was a fundraiser mm. for yeshivas, American yeshivas. He would travel, but most parents did not travel. Correct. Like, I remember I had the, probably one of the first Game Boys. Remember right. Game Boy? Yeah. I remember because I, my dad got it while he was in America. I think it was the first week it came out. I was the first kid to have um, what's called, uh, do you remember? I don't even know if you remember this. But you're a Celtic fan, so you may. <laughs> D. Brown won the, the, the slam dunk, slam dunk contest. wearing Reebok pumps. Sure. I remember the Reebok pumps. I had pumps. I was the first wow, kid in Israel that deal. had pumps. So those things were fun and cute. Other than that, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so from nine to I guess around sixteen. So, 16 so half, yeah. just living in Israeli life in uh, Nana, like We're, like you said, a lot of Olim, so a lot of English being spoken around, uh, and and these these communities exist until they stay. I love uh, these one. Kind of, yeah, <laughs> these kinds of communities. Yeah. Um, uh, so, what happened that the family moved back? Parnassa. My father had an amazing opportunity to be the chazan of a big shul in Los Angeles. And it was the right time for, for it, was, it was needed. It was needed. It was very difficult on us as children. Those ages were very... You remember? Oh, very, very, very much so. Can you talk about it a little sure. bit? Sure. I mean, I was, in fact, you're not going to believe this. I mean, this. you had Reebok pumps, so like, life gonna, must have been easy. You're not going <laughs> to believe this. Last night, I'm not kidding. Right now, we're recording this on a Thursday morning. Yeah, yeah. Last night, my Rosh Yeshiva from my high school in Israel, okay, he writes me, he sends me a WhatsApp. He says, you're not going to believe this, but I found a letter you wrote me 25 years ago, 1997, when you moved back to L.A. Right. And you wrote me a letter to share your feelings, and he sent them to me, and I wrote it. I read it last night. And it gave me a glimpse. It's like, Mama Shashgacha, you're here this morning. It gave me a Big glimpse. Big time into what, what, what was going on in my head. Wait, wait, quick time out. Yeah. Because we were supposed to do this interview a few weeks ago and it didn't work out. Everyone so, should know, yeah. So but, obviously this is the reason why it didn't work out. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Last night, my Rosh Yeshiva, my high school Yeshiva, Rabbi Avichai Katsin, and I'll show you this when we're done. Yeah, yeah. He sends me, he's like, I'm going through an old Haggadah and I found this letter that you wrote me. And I wrote him a letter about how I understand that this is what's needed now in, my, in, in life for my family, but Hashem is making me look, and I was 16. No, 17, I just turned 17. And he said, Hashem is making me look at something that I couldn't see from Eretz Yisrael, and that is, how could it be that so many Jews still live, so many believing Jews still live in Eretz HaAmim. I, I wrote a little more, bit more Kharif words. Uh-huh. I wrote Eretz HaToma. <laughs> wow, okay. And I said to him, like, maybe that's why I need to, I'm here right now to look at this from up close, not just hear about it. Wow. Yeah, I started these things young, like these, my, these like a deep way of thinking at, mm-hmm. at a relatively young age. Mm-hmm. The, the move was crazy. I was, seven, I was in 11th grade. I couldn't relate to anybody, no one. I used to skip class in Los Angeles to have a chevrusa with the, the English with the history professor who was a French wrestler wrestler Baal Tshuva, right? To learn Reb Nachman with him. That's what I would skip chemistry for. Like, 
Right. I, and even my friends that I had from when I was younger in L.A., we had no common language, nothing. And I, and I know why also. It's very clear to me. Yeah. Those years of living here as a teenager before I moved back to America, it's very intense years with things that were going on in Eretz Yisrael with this, the, 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 the security situation. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I found myself going to funerals or the, the location of where bombs went off hours later being there, rallying. It was a completely different upgrowing. The, the meaning of life, the meaning of being a Jew, the meaning of being a Jew living in Eretz Yisrael, the meaning of Eretz Yisrael, it actually really had a, a strong imprint on me. And even though, yeah, I would still love the Lakers and I would go to Laker games when I moved back to L.A., it didn't have that place in my heart, you know, or in my mind. It was a different world. It was a completely different world. So, so you're in ninth grade. No, tenth, was, no, 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 I'm saying I'm, I'm walking through something here. In Israel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh sorry. You're in Still ninth in grade. Israel. You're in tenth grade. And I've had boys in ninth and tenth grade and in eleventh grade. You're already thinking about army. You're already thinking about not just army, but okay, am I going to be one of these guys who spends the next three years getting into amazing shape so I can be in an incredible unit? Or am I just going to like do my service? Am I going to go to yeshiva? Right. Am I going to go to Hester? Which am I gonna, gonna, Yeah, gonna, sure. All this is going through your mind and then, boom, you're going to L.A. It, it Correct? Was, it was being, it was exactly that. It came out, it came out of nowhere. Now, in, right, it's a job opportunity. It right? came out of nowhere. Yeah. And there's a big, big bracha for my family. Hmm. <laughs> Obviously. For me too, it was a. Uh, it ended up being. I mean, I choose to think like this, because that's what a yid has to do. And I also, sincerely believe in it too. Upon, besides just that, like that need to, I'm supposed to feel like this, that it ended up being. I wouldn't be sitting with you. I wouldn't know who you are. You wouldn't know who I am if we didn't. If that didn't happen, probably. But it was traumatic. Uh, for me and my siblings. I have three younger siblings. Okay, right. I'm the oldest. I was 16 and a half. My brother was, uh, he must have been 14. And then my sisters were 12 and 11. It was it was wow. very rough years. Now, even though we were going back to a community we knew about, it didn't matter. We were different people. We were different people, experiencing life completely differently. Right. So it's heavy. Right. So then you get back to L.A. And... I'm sure you remember when you first arrived, but I want to hear more about your mindset. You knew you were coming back here someday? And what about your siblings? Did you all... I don't know what's up with your siblings. Are any mm. of them still there? Did they all come back also? What, what was going on emotionally and, and intellectually with you guys um, at that point? I couldn't imagine um, the rest of my life. No, I could not. I didn't see my life there. I just didn't know how long it would take. I thought it would take very, very little time, and I tried once to come back on my own at a young age, actually. I finished 11th grade. Right. I turned to my parents, and I said, listen, it's even though I know English, I never learned in English, so learning these things is it, it, it doesn't, doesn't add up. I didn't even learn Torah in English, so I was in the advanced Gemara track. I was enjoying it, but I had to re- I had to change the way I... It wasn't... It, it was just whatever. <laughs> so I told my parents, let me take my GEDs, my SATs, and um, I, I'm going to go to Hesda. 
I'm going to go back to Eretz Yisrael. And so I stayed in L.A. for about six months. Wow. From March to October, much then. And then I moved back here on my own to a Hezder Yeshiva in Ramat Gan. But the I wasn't ready for Famous yeah. Ramat Gan Yeshiva. Back then, back yeah. then, it was basically maybe six, 50, 60 guys. Wow. Guitars and flutes every day. It was a different. It was different. <laughs> it was different. I knew about that yeshiva from before I left. I, I had spent. Uh, I think I visited there. They came to my high school in Renana, but I wasn't ready for it. And um, I moved back that summer when I was eighteen to America, back to Los Angeles, and my own personal like search and growth and trying to understand. Okay, Hashem, I've been. I didn't choose a lot of these changes, but <clears throat> I have to figure. I have to just find my find my way somehow. Four years of incredible, incredible experiences of of personal growth, of getting a little bit more of a taste of what I think Hashem has in mind when He thought of creating me. Literally like that, and then at twenty two, which is will be this summer will be twenty years ago. Right, Chaz de Hashem. Um, I didn't think too much, and I found a program online, Mamish online, a yeshiva that was, seemed like a good smicha program. Mm. And by then I was already dabbling in music, but my, my heart's passion wasn't that. It wasn't to do that. We'll get back to that later, but, and I made the move back home, which was the best decision I ever, aside from my wife and have and my children, <laughs> right. sure. that was the most wonderful and and peaceful decision I ever made in my life. Right, and easiest too. Yeah, it was right to come back here at twenty two and Dafka to here to where we are right now. Huh? Yeah, this region. What happened during that year at Ramat Gan that that you felt it wasn't right? Maturity. Or immaturity. Like, the, the truth is, I just wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to live alone. Or, I, or maybe I wasn't ready to live so far from my immediate family. I wasn't ready. My dad was forced to do that at the age of 14, hmm. making Aliyah alone from Argentina. Took him three weeks on a boat to make Aliyah. Wow. wow. His family didn't follow afterwards like they were supposed to because his father, who I'm named after, died that year. Hmm. So they stayed in Argentina. He was forced into that situation with the bracha of his parents to go and move to Eretz Yisrael. I guess I really just wasn't ready. I couldn't see myself like really getting my life together and then continuing on um, to go and serve in the army while my, while my family is so far. It's just, it's just not who I was. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very cl- I wasn't so sure about it then, but when I look back now, I realize I wasn't ready for life. I wasn't ready for the world. So... So you talked with your parents and, and you together came to the conclusion or they said, hey, you've got to come back or you just said, I got to come back or, you know, how did that I work out? I talked with my parents and I said, I just, I had to make a decision because the following that's year right. was... The first year, you can still get out of it. You can still get right? out of it. <laughs> that's, right, that's right. The second year was more like, well, I have to now decide. Right. And uh, my mother made it so clear to me when I, the first time I left home at 17, she said, just remember, you could always come home. That was always in the back of my mind. Or the front of my heart depends how you want to look at it. And then I met with the admissions, uh, uh, the head of admissions of YU. 
And I met with him in a building which I ended up later teaching at, Torah Chiraga mm-hmm. building, the Gurus Wayu building. Yeah. Very nice guy, Krunzler, I think his name was, Moish Krunzler, if I remember correctly. And he said, if I go to a community college with a B average for two years, I can then transfer to YU after two years. Okay. So I have to take my SATs. I don't think I had taken it by then. I took my GED to get my high school diploma. Right. I don't think I took my SAT. I took it then, and it was shvach, because again, I didn't <laughs> learn in English. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Give me a bagrut, so I would have done it. If they had done it orally, maybe. maybe, Orally, yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's just the 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 funny barrier, the language. Yeah, Yeah, I still talk in two languages. (laughs) And I was like, okay, that was the plan. I'll move back to LA. I'll go to community college for two years with a B average, and then I'll transfer to YU. And the Ribbono Shalelam had completely (laughs) different plans. So what was it? It was not that. <laughs> I did go to community college in Santa Monica College. I enjoyed it. It was very bizarre, weird, but I was already felt, I felt already by then, like, Shlomo, your derech is just something else. You didn't choose that, that, you know, to not walk like everyone else. You were plucked out here, this and that. I guess it's very important to, to mention something. In 1994, in October of 1994, when I was 14, right. Shlomo Karbach died. Mm-hmm. That year, he, for for many different reasons, but one specific one with a new kid in the class that moved into my class in Ranana, and had this ashpa on me. I was I was introduced to his world. Now I grew up in a house of music, so and I, and, and also a lot of his music, and I knew that my father knew him the chule. But about his ruach and his spirit and his simcha, and his connection to Yiddishkeit. That was for me from a young age, from 14, 15 years old, that was already like my, my direction. So that was always playing that a role. That one year of, of you being 14 years of age and being him, introduced to him. That was it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, because he died so quickly thereafter. No, I, set, set he had course. died already. I, it was oh, right after, it was he, died, after he had right died. Right after he died. You never met him? I saw him once or twice mm-hmm. as a kid, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. even if I did, how old, you know, I was young. I was yeah, young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have one memory of seeing him in a shul and then another two, two vivid memories. Which, but um, I never met him. But I'll tell you the truth, I don't, I, I don't say that I met him because right. I didn't really <laughs> meet him. I didn't meet him. Um, and, from, and then from then on, my life went, was set on a certain trajectory that was always in his light and in his ruach. So I had a burning passion in me for something very, very spiritual, real, new, and chazak from around, from already that age. So those years of 18 to 22 in Los Angeles, I started developing my own, um, my own feeling of, of music in his light and teaching and his Torah too. As you're, as you're sitting right in front of you, our latest publication just came out last week of his parish on Vayikra Emba Midbar, which... These are dreams that, that started then, right. you know? Right. So it was always there. It was always there. But I, I always knew that Eretz Yisrael had to be the center of whatever big thing can happen in life. Had to be. So how, how long was the community college experience? All the way through? Two years? I, I ended up staying there for four years. Oh, really? I didn't, yeah, because I, didn't, I, didn't, I realized already that even if I had the, and I, I, ha, I mean, 
I had a B average in, in the, but I, I didn't want to, like, it was not my thing to then transfer to YU because that would just mean trying again to fit into a certain type of kid that even though they, my friends were going into YU, it just wasn't me. It wasn't you know, me. The funny thing is, my wife, she started out, uh, I hope she, hope she doesn't get angry at me for this, but she started out her college experience at Queens College having gone to Ramaz High School. And Queens College, from what I understand, is like an extension of, uh-huh. of Jewish high school. A lot of, lot of Dati Jews at Queens College. She couldn't stand it. Mm-hmm. She wound up going to Norwalk Community College in Connecticut and, and then eventually went back to, uh, to a SUNY College. Mm-hmm. My point is, from what you're saying and from what she's saying, like community college can be a really good thing for people. People, people think that community college right. is like, ah, that's if you can't get into a regular college. But because it's such an odd environment with people coming in with all different perspectives, right. it's sort of like you get a chance to think about, okay, where do I want to go? What do I want to be? That's interesting. Uh, and I, the way you put it, yeah. I because that. you had no, it wasn't like you were going to college like to go to the basketball games and have a social experience. No. It was just like, I need a degree. Are you kidding me? People would, people would stop me. I already had a little pace then and, and I would be stopped by these, by these, this chevre and, and, and this, this is Los Angeles, 1998. You had some, you know, some chevre, some of our African-American brothers who I became friendly with on campus to be like, bro, we, we, we get that thingy on your head and, we even sometimes understand those weird strings coming out, but what the, mm, it's behind your ears, you know? <laughs> right. It was a different experience of life. I also, I carried with me an Ishbitz. I would like go to, I'd go to a sociology class and I was loving Hasidus, but it was my own, it was my own curriculum. My life was my own curriculum. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, a different experience. Yeah, okay, so... At what point during those four years is it clear to you that after you finish there, you're coming straight back to Israel? As I began to teach and to lead davening in a community that I was very connected to back then, which is called the Happy Minion of Los Angeles, Mm. who davened in the shul where my father was chazan, I noticed that I really have to learn. Like, I, as much as I love, like, learning and this, like, learning different things and inspirational things, I have to really, I have to go get smich, I have to become a rav, I have to, this has to be something real, because it seemed to me very clear that, in Galut at least, you, you could be a rebbe without knowing, you know. With, mm. You're talking about the depth, depth yeah, of the, knowledge. The depth of the knowledge, which I still have to, I still have to, every day. Lifelong I have pursuit. This still, yeah, I have this still, this voice in my head. It's telling me all day long, who are, you know, who are you really kidding, Shlomo? You still have to learn much more, and it's true. The voice could has like a Yitzhahara and a Yitzhahtov sound to it. I have to you know, fight through it and verify. But um, at, the, at the age of 21, I realized, you know, if you continue doing this, you'll just, you'll have, you'll, you could build up your own little guru kind of vibe, but that, that can't be Emma's. Right. It just can't be. It can't be real. Not just that. Is that my heart was longing for Eretz Yisrael? Like I, I was. During those four years, did you come back at all? A, a few visits. Yeah, but you did have visits. Once or twice, you know. Yeah. 
maybe, maybe even just once. Actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, I think it was also too painful to come back for visits. Hmm. Also, or maybe it was just like, you know, you were 19. How much money did you have to just come back on a visit? <laughs> right. I don't know. Right. That's true. But I think that I saw so many different wild things in those years with, in, in California. Yeah. I started traveling a little bit within the States. I would go especially through the, the state of California. And I would travel up north a lot to San Francisco and to Oakland and to the Bay Area and Santa Cruz. Um, and also down south to San Diego. I, and I would see just like, wow, there's so much to do. It's so incredible. But if I don't go now, I'll probably be stuck in this self-illusion uh, you know, guru vibe for the rest of my life. Right. Wow. And now's the time. I wasn't married yet. Now's the time. So what'd you do? This is going to sound insane. I went online and I looked for... I had a connection to one rabbi, to Rabbi David Aaron, mm -hmm. from Israelite. Yeah. And he gave me a great Eitzah. I saw a program in a certain yeshiva that wasn't my ruach and taste, but it looked like a two-year smicha program. So I thought that my shlichus would be go for two years and then come back and lead this whole community in Los Angeles and infuse them with passion. And one day, it would get everyone to come back home to Eretz Yisrael, right? He gave me a great mashal that Chazal saying that a person that walks into a a a, a, a besamim store, a store that smells of fragrances or you know perfume, and, yeah. and you have no intention of buying anything here, just to walk through the store. He says you'll walk out smelling like the store, whether whether you had any intention to buy anything or not. He said, this yeshiva, if you go there, you may you know get that document that you want, but you're going to come out smelling like it a little bit, whether you like it or not. I continued searching a little bit more, and Hashem Yisbarach blessed me with, the, with, the, with, with such a privilege of finding Yeshivat HaMivtar, right. led under Rabbi Chaim Bravender mm -hmm. and Rabbi Shlomo Riskin. And mm -hmm. that, was, that was a gift of all gifts. The region, like geographically where it was located, and especially the people that were there. And, it was, and you know what? It wasn't exactly my style. In terms of like, you know, ruchni, spiritually speaking. Right. But it's what I needed. It's exactly... What does that mean? What does that mean is what you needed? Structure, meaning also the different ways of, of learning and thinking and saying that being into Hasidus, which is what caught my eye in the beginning, means much less about what you look like as opposed to how you live and what you mm -hmm. think. And I learned that very much from Rav Bravinder, my Rosh Hashiva, who I don't know if people would call a Hasid, but to me, Rav Bravinder knows more about Hasidus than almost anyone I've ever heard of. And that sense of uh, being in the, in the presence of greats was very, very big to me. Like Rabbi Riskin, the dean of Or Torah and, the, and, the, and Amiftar was underneath Or Torah back then, right. which were institutions. And Rabbi Riskin was the, is, is and was the chief rabbi of Efrat. Personal access to him once or twice a week was... And it was Gold. amazing, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But honestly, the windows of the base midrash were one of the most beautiful and important things of that experience because the windows of the base midrash were were basically towards the the highway that connects Hebron and Yerushalayim, the sixty. Right. It was all mountains, though, and I was living with the consciousness day and night. Um, of what I, where I'm living and what I'm looking at, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov 
It's not that maybe they were here. They were here. It could be on the pebbles that I'm walking on from my from my dorm to the to the to the base medrash. That really could be, and that played a big role in my experience in life then till today, because we still live in this area. That was to me a, a heavy presence in my life. I'm learning Dvar Hashem. I'm learning Torah on the rocks of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. It was is re- a real thing. I couldn't believe it. I felt like the luckiest person in the world. But so many people who visit Israel are blown away by that. What was it about that 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 made you feel, and therefore I must be here on an ongoing basis. It wasn't choice. I didn't choose it. I'm telling you the really? truth. I felt so dr- yeah. <laughs> because the thought of going back to America afterwards, it disappeared overnight. Like, it wasn't there. So looking out the windows, you said, well, okay, so that, that idea about going back and leading this shul and then ultimately bringing everybody back here, like, no, it's just not... Offers would come, mm-hmm. offers were coming, especially once I got married, offers were coming, but when I saw also the need of what's needed here, um, it also changed my perspective tremendously. I'll give you an example, but we'll jump ahead if it's sure, okay, sure. then we'll go back. Fast forward, um, I don't know, 10 years later, I'm in Sydney, Australia, I'm with my wife, I had one kid then, and after a late night concert in, in, in a beautiful place, beautiful people, and a Rav who's a very dear friend of mine till today, late at night he says, Shlema, tell me the truth. What are you doing in Eretz Yisrael? I said, what do you mean? He's like, he says to me, Shraga betihara maimahani, which is a term that's used in, the, in, in halacha that speaks about when a, if a, a candle in light, what good does it do? Maimahani. He said, well, I said, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, yeah, you're like a candy. You have something to give. You have a light, but you're in you're in light. My mahani, what good could it do? I said, are you, what are you what are you saying to me? You think Eretz Yisrael? You think it's all good and done here? And now all the work, spiritual work, is just about chutzlaitz. And when he said that to me, I realized it it, it infused me with actually a, a, a determination at that life to even shift gears. Wow. in terms of what I was doing back then, because an important piece that I didn't mention was that I started to dabble into music before I came back at the age of 22. Mm-hmm. But my father had to convince me to bring my guitar with me to Eretz Yisrael. Really? Yeah, because I, I said to him, Abba, in Israel, everyone, every schlepper is walking around with the guitar writing the Gunim. <laughs> and whatever You said reason, to your father about music what this Rav in Australia said to more you or less, about Torah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually thought that I wouldn't even, like, it wasn't even part of the wow. Indian, but a few of, of, of my nigunim back then uh, started spreading, and it took a life on its own, and I was, as much as I was learning for smicha, I was becoming very heavily involved in music, right. and started traveling a lot with music, too. But when that, so it got me to, you know, a lot of places in the world, especially to that meeting with that rabbi in Australia, and in my mind, my, my shift went from, you know what, Eretz Yisrael really needs some grounding inspiration. 
in Eretz Yisrael. And that's when a, a different life shift began focusing more towards where we are today. But those, were, those years were very monumental. Yeah. Right. So you come back at 22, you're at Yeshivat HaMiftar, and then eventually you finish. Yeah, so God where, bless me. Where did you go Hashem. from there? So it was interesting. I and was how so, does meeting your wife fit into this whole thing? Perfectly. I was so busy with, with, with music then. I was traveling nonstop. I was playing here all the time. Life, I was very busy. And, um, but I was single. And my, my passion for learning was for teaching. Uh, my real f- friends knew and saw that. And one specific individual who I think about every single day, <laughs> he passed away a number of years ago. Um, his name was Rabbi Shalom Brat. Mm-hmm. He was living in Nachlaot. And he opened up a little yeshiva in his home, which is still going, Yeshivat Simchat Shlomo. And he had me, and he knew, and also I was going through a heavy Chabad phase then. I was really, really in, and hopefully I still am, (laughs) into the Torah of the Alter Rebbe. And uh, when I was in Australia on a different trip, the Chavar there really got me with the Alter Rebbe. It touched my heart in such a profound way. And I remember it was around now, it was a bit earlier than now in the year, and he had me teach in his yeshiva, a shear on the Torah of the Alter Rebbe and Reb Shlomo's Torah on Purim. And it was co-ed shiurim. I mean, men, men sit on one side, women sit on the sure. other side, men and women would learn together. Yeah. I'm 27. Right. And I'm giving this shear, I'm about to give this shear, and there's some, some young woman comes, knocks on the door, and I was standing by the doorpost in the entrance to this home. And um, it was my wife that came to that shear. <laughs> right, right. I can't believe it, the mother of our children. So I met her through the world of learning, <laughs> through coming to a shear of mine, and I couldn't even get a word out while she was in that shear. <laughs> really? Yeah, I thought to myself, am I crazy doing, co- I mean, this, is, this is crazy. I didn't look her way and whatnot, and it took a few more times. It's a little bit of a longer story, but Baruch Hashem, um, once we got, I was living as a single in Yerushalayim, but once we got engaged, I said to her, listen, the area that I really feel so connected to in Eretz Yisrael is the Gush Etzion area, this area where I live. And she had never, I don't even know if she was ever even here, but we brought her here, and the hills here spoke to her too. And Baruch Hashem, we've been living here in this area of Gush Etzion, Efrat, and for a few years in Neve Daniel too, since we're married. Would she tell a similar story about, uh, about how you met? Um, it's, it almost sounds like she walked in the room and you're like, that's it, case closed. Well, I, 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 I didn't tell you the full version because <laughs> I don't know how much time we have, but it was basically, uh, she, she grew up, she's an Ola from the age of two, right. in Moshav Matityahu, oh, okay. where, her, where her family still lives till today. And she grew up from and everything, but she never felt the neshama of it until someone put on the family iPod. Remember an iPod? Yeah. Put some of Rib Shlomo's Torahs and voice and nigunim. And she was on a bus one day listening randomly to whatever was on, on the iPod. And she, at the time, she was, um, she had the schus of being the aide, the sayat for Rebetz and Scheinberg. Wow. 
Actually, one of our dates was in their apartment. Interesting. Mother's love. <laughs> wow. And um, she knew that whatever this was that she was listening to was her calling of her neshama. She went home. She Googled Shlomo Karbach Torah. Right. It brought her to this place that I was teaching at that night. Unbelievable. And, yeah. Rabbi Shlomo brought you, to, brought you together. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about Rabbi Shlomo a little bit? Of course. Obviously, he's had a tremendous impact. I, I had no idea that, that you had never had interactions with him because uh, it, it seems like, like his approach and his Torah is... It's hugging you, the whole, <laughs> everything even you're if, doing. Even if I, even if I so, never mention his name the rest of my life, there's nothing I can do about it, yeah. So, so um, what impact did he have on your decision to, to build in Israel instead of Los Angeles? And just on your life in general, I'd just love to hear about it. Because he, he lived sort of like this double life, New he York, lived, New right, York right. And, and Israel. Just ask him, where do you live? He'd point to, to up there because he lived on a plane. Right. He said his heart's his legs are usually in New York, L.A., Moscow, Belgium, but his heart's always in Yerushalayim. His Torah is the Torah of Eretz Yisrael. Like his, I only heard about, even one time when he was asked in 1972, like what, what, in Kansas City, someone asked him, what are you big on? Like, what are your messages? What are you really trying to say? He said, it's two things, Shabbos and Yerushalayim. Hmm. And the way that he spoke about Yerushalayim, the way he spoke about the Kotel, the way he spoke about the Kedusha of the Chayalim. I've never heard anyone talk like that. And I grew up in the greatest Zionist, right. Bnei Akiva types of institutions. The passion with which he spoke about coming home to Yerushalayim after the six million. It was part of everything that I ever heard through his voice. So that's, it was always there. It was always, always there. But I don't think that that was the stamp of like saying, oh, I'm here because of his Torah. Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely, I would say it's a definitely a, a, a mix of what I received from home. The Avater Yisrael I received from home. Right, right. Did you uh, yourself serve in the army? I left Israel at right. 16. Right. And when I came back, I was, I was 22, went to learn in yeshiva. And you know, I, I think that, and, and I just didn't end up serving in the army. I think that when I look back, at, at, and you alluded to this a little bit earlier. Is like at that age, sixteen, you're already starting to think about the army and this and that. And the truth is, by the, when my parents told me that we're moving back, it was right before that period where people are starting to think. Right. It's before Tzav okay. Rishon. It was before your mindsets uh, like that. The only time I thought about it was when I moved back to Eretz Yisrael at seventeen and was in a Hasdi yeshiva. And then, right. and I, I guess mentally, I said to myself, I realize I don't, I'm just, I know who I am. I'm not made of such a thing. I, I'm not made of serving when my parent, when my family so far. I know myself. Hmm. Um, but not for one second does the, does the schut, um, I'll, I'll give you an example. This will help explain where it is in my heart. We have to pass by a machsom here to get to Yerushalayim. Right. And, um, where to go to, 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 to you, to Beit Shemesh. Um, my children, Baruch Hashem, the chinuch they receive from home is that whenever we pass by chayalim, they're always like, Abba chayalim, like rebbes, because they are rebbes. So even though I didn't have the schus to serve uh, in, in, in Sahal, 
I feel like it's an obligation every time I, I speak or teach or talk about Eretz Yisrael to raise the consciousness of the Kedusha of Chayalim, the privilege we have that right now as you and I are talking, there are 18 and 19 year old men and women that are creating the ability for us to sit here and, and, right. and talk. That's right. Any regret about not serving in the army or it's just sort of like that's the way things played out? It's really the way life played out. It was being plucked out of here at 16. Right. Not my choice. Trying to figure out life uh, in a confusing time. It never, no, it never really... I was always drawn to the more spiritual connection to Eretz Yisrael. Yeah. I think from a young age. Um, if now I went back, I would probably fight to figure out a way how I could get drafted at a later stage in life. Uh, I guess Hashem had a different plan for me, but yeah. Uh, yeah. no, I appreciate the question. I don't even think about it so much because my whole life is Eretz Yisrael. That aspect of Eretz Yisrael is definitely its own aspect of its own, but I never, no, I never really thought about it then or think about it today. I want to shift gears. Please. Let's talk about kids. Um, you yourself went to school as a kid here. You send your own kids to school. Your oldest is how old? Twelve. Twelve. Is there a difference between what education was like here back then for you versus what you're seeing for your own kids? A lot of people talk about how horrible it is that there are so many kids in classes here versus outside of Israel and, and the education system is a mess here. And you know, my, my perspective on, on things like education uh, has always been don't look at the micro, look at the macro. Look at look at what Israel churns out of its education system. Don't look at what it looks like in the classroom. But what's your take on education for your kids? First of all, very similar to what you just said about the end, about the big picture and the result is to me where the focus should be on and not like you know, what's happening. But but I also really believe strongly that until Mashiach comes, we don't have a there's nowhere that's good enough for our children. Not here, not there, not anywhere. But I do know that my children are learning Torah in Eretz Yisrael. And on a certain level, on a certain level, that has to play a role. It has to play some kind of a role when I think of the concept called chinuch. Like when I say education, what am I referring to? What am I, what am I saying? Am I saying that's where they're going to learn? That, like, I send my kids to school in order for what? What's the... Because chinuch is such a broad term. It's school. such a broad. Why am I sending my child to school? Other than legally, I, I, I know I need to, but... Why am I sending my child to a school? In order to what? When a person stops and fills in those blanks with honesty and with courage, they realize that their own sense, their own understanding of... Of uh, the, the 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 areas of importance in chinuch will change by them. Wow, so so like fill I, in the blank for, for me for the for cats me, family for me yeah, and 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 this is also for what I what I'm trying to do here with with my chaver here in the kehila. Um, I send my child to school not to get a religious education. The religious education my child gets is in my Shabbos table. Mm -hmm. It's in my Monday afternoon. It's in them seeing. It's, a, it's the Friday afternoon cooking for shot. That's not the, the religious education. I'm, again, don't confuse things. I mean, I shouldn't hopefully not confuse them. Religious <laughs> education is, of course, where I want 
every well, I would like every Jewish child to go to to a religious institution, but information. We're in an era that kids can receive information anywhere. Right. What are rabbis night rabbis even needed for for those that are looking for information? Information. So the thing is, how are they learning about Torah from the people that they're that they're being sent to? And that's something that everywhere needs an uplift. Meaning in every institution in the world, the person that's transmitting Torah has to be someone that feels you know, completely humbled by the by the privilege. We were privileged for two years, and for one of our daughters, they had she had a melamed, who we referred to him as the Baal Shem Tov. You see, that? <laughs> really? Yeah, his name was not Israel, which was Baal Shem Tov's name. Right. His name was something that he chapped it. You see that here and there, you have these neshamas that stand in awe. Uh, there's a sefer that, that came out in Chabad, which was taken taken about from Babacher Rebbe's uh, Torahs about about uh, educators, and I think it was called uh, the educator's privilege or something like that. Hmm. Right, because that's what it is. So, the difference between I mean, there, there's so many differences, but the consciousness of my children learning Torah in, in Eretz Yisrael. And learning other things in Eretz Yisrael, yeah, just like in any other place, there are better schools and worse schools, but the, on a macro as opposed to micro, that's where the focus should be. Right, right. I really believe in that. Uh, I grew up in a house where my grandparents were even American, were even born in the United States, so a very American home. Um, you obviously grew up in a different kind of home. My wife, my, my mother, wa- though, also uh, like three generations American. Okay, so, yeah, okay. My okay. father, no. Yeah. Um, my, my wife grew up in a family where where both of her parents were immigrants, uh, Iranian immigrants to the states. So so she had more of that also. I'm I'm mentioning that because we're all raising our kids in that sort of like, you know, immigrant culture, right? Where you know, in the morning I'm seeing if the Celtics won <laughs> last night, um, but. But I, I, I truly couldn't care less whether they won. It's just like a diversion. Right, right. Um, right. Um, but I know that my house is sort of like in some ways not American at all and in some ways quite American. Mm-hmm. Even though your wife came here to, to American parents, I imagine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Anna Baal Truba, American Moshev. That's right. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. Moshev Antityahu. Um, how American is your home? How, is that a conscious decision you and your wife made? Hebrew versus English? What's going on at your home? This is my own personal take, and I'm sure many will, diff, will, will have a hard time with it. It's okay. It's just me being real. Yeah. Starting now? <laughs> well, this one specifically. <laughs> I think this one specifically. My goal, our goal, is not necessarily... To, and this is not for any. This is not to say anything bad about anyone. It's just the goal. Our goal in chinuch and in the home we raise is not to become Israeli. It's to become Jewish. Right. And I think many people, when it comes to Aliyah, they get confused about. Wait a second. Are we going to a place to become Israeli, or are we going to a place to actually really become Jewish? Because I believe that Aliyah is really about becoming Jewish much more than becoming Israeli. Now, that doesn't, shouldn't take away anything from 
the beauty and the preciousness of it. I'm Israeli. I mean, my father's Israeli. I'm, I'm, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, what, what did uh, Paul Simon say? Man hears what he wants to hear. And this, like, you could rest. hear this and be like, oh my God, this guy's like, no, no, I'm saying something very simple. Like, Aliyah, coming home to Eretz Yisrael, is a Jewish thing. It's not an Israeli thing. It happens Ralph to Ralph Cook be, would say it's an Israeli thing because he, he says that Jewish is not even really the thing. Israeli no, is would the say, thing, but, but, it's, I, all, it's semantics. But I think it's semantics, yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. <laughs> I think he's, he would say the same thing. Yeah, nachon, yeah, yeah. Nachon, yeah. Nachon. And, and, you know, as you see, <laughs> you know, Rav Cook is, is, is my... Right. Is my light, and uh, if you see the picture in the office here, I mean, yeah. I can't breathe. None of us can have oxygen with that rough cook. But I think that that's a, your question is a very interesting one because many people have this legitimate fear that they're just going to feel like they're foreigners if they move here, and that Israelis don't like olim, right? Right, like Israelis just don't like olim. Um, but I think they have to look at, at, at these questions on a much more larger scale. Can you imagine right now if 150,000 Orthodox Jews made Aliyah right now? The problems we have here, would they be solved? I don't know if they'd be solved, but it would be different. For sure. But there's one thing that everyone has to go through in the process. Humbling. Hmm. You're not the, the first person to say that. Uh, it's a very, I, I learned this from... Uh, all the tzaddikim, and also from, interestingly enough, you know the author Danny, Daniel Gordis? Sure, sure. He was once interviewed about the, the Arab-Israeli conflict, um, which I wish they would just call an Arab-Jewish conflict, really. That's what it is. Because that's what it is, not an Israeli conflict. It's an Arab-Jewish conflict. Yeah. Like when a chayal is guarding me here, he's guarding, he's guarding Yidden in Maryland and in mm-hmm. Kentucky and mm-hmm. in... Brazil, these chayalim regarding Am Yisrael. Um, he said that he wishes that anyone that came to the table, uh, the ones you know, to a, to the table of um, talks about any future agreement. He said, he wish, negotiating tables. Yeah, those yeah, kinds yeah, of tables. yeah. I hate those words and everything, <laughs> right. but yeah, it's like if if everyone would just show up humbled, saying we actually have no idea what to do in this mess, that you could start from there. I think that. Um, the, the American that moves here with all the great things that this place has to offer, like Eretz Yisrael is called Eretz Knan, because it's machnia. If you're not nichna, if you're not, if you don't learn the Torah of going through a humbling process, this land will spit you out. That's what this land is. This kedusha here, it can't stomach arrogance. So I'm not saying, imagine 150,000 from you didn't move here. Now we'll know what, and they say, like, now we'll know what to do. Are you kidding me? On the contrary, yeah, that'll yeah. cause more. But I know that the pride, the simcha sachaim, the pnimius of Avodah Hashem that so many of my brothers and sisters in Galut, in, in physical Galut, in, in, in Chutzlaretz, what the, that they have, we need here. We need each other. We need each other. We need that. And that is a little bit of the frame and structure of our shul, of our keila. It's not being apologetic about the fact that we have that American framework and style of how we do our thing. But again, if the voda was to become Israeli, we're failing. Right. 
if the avoda is to become more and more Jewish, then Bezrat Hashem, we're on the right track. We're going to talk about uh, Shirat David in a, in a second. Sure. I have, I, we could do a whole podcast about your music. I, I don't want to do that to you, but I do have one question sure. related to what we were just talking sure, about. Sure. You play here and you play outside of Israel. Is there a difference in how you feel when you're up there singing? What does it mean to sing to people here versus what it means to sing to people there? Or do you just feel an obligation to everyone no matter what and it's the same? Mm. Here, I feel that I feel much more um, humbled, meaning I feel, I feel much more... You don't have to give away the drushes. You just have to get, you know, get the people into the zone of tefillah. And once the tefillah starts, you just... Adlele Shomayim. Um, there, if I'm not mamish giving over Torah the whole time, then I feel that I feel fake. Well, yeah. What do you mean fake? Entertainment. I feel like uh, I'm an entertainer. Okay. I feel like Billy Joel or whatever. <laughs> uh, well, my guy's Neil Young, but yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, very interesting. Let's talk about Shilat David if we can. Yeah. Because. Um, it seems to me, from, from what I've seen, and, and full disclosure, I've only spent one Hoshana Rabbah morning with your Kehillah, which is an incredible Kehillah. I was flying for, I, may, I might even still be flying from that morning. <laughs> it was absolutely amazing. Um, I mean, what you're trying to do is you're trying to create, I, I hate to say it this way, but you're trying to create a Kehillah like what people are used to outside of Israel. Um, what's... What's your perspective on Kehillah, um, given the fact that the state of Israel has sort of, talking about the whole humbling thing, right? The state of Israel's done its thing and whatever for 70 plus years. And, and there are a few sort of diaspora style Kehillot. And it, it, it's a little, I'm a little afraid to say it that way because of maybe Kehillah started here and was brought there and but you get what i'm saying this in some weird way is a question so just speak about speak about the whole thing i think i get it if if i'm very off just tell me um the the israeli the typical israeli is so his connection to yiddishkeit and to eretz israel is something we'll never understand he he's given his life or he's been willing to give his life so that you and I can be here. He may have lost a son or a daughter or a mother or a father so that we could be here. He doesn't need a communal life to get a sense of how amazing it is to be here. He doesn't need that necessarily. The previous generation. Mm-hmm. And also, if he has a question about something, he'll call his Hezder Rav or something, like, right. or his uncle. Or his brother-in-law is a Talmud Chacham sits on the Dayanus and Be'er Sheva or something. <laughs> right, I don't know, right? Right. But in America and in Chutzlaretz, the shul was where we put all our heart and soul. It was the focus. It was the center. It was the place where my... I had a place of expression and manifesting all the dreams I have. And it had a, it had a makum for it. It had a makum. Now, I have to be very careful from... Like, very nizhar that the words I'm saying don't get misunderstood because... 
it's a very delicate topic. By the Sephardish Echavra, you walk into the shul by them, it's Malchut. Malchut. Any Sephardic shul that I know, you walk in, there's what's called Moram Makom. It's like, whoa. That's right. Royal. They, they might be wearing jeans and t-shirts, but... Uh, but the play... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Noble. <laughs> there is kavod. There's a humbling that happens to you the second you walk inside. Loyazor. We don't have them. Got lost over the years. Here also. I'm saying very much here. We lost it for whatever the reasons are. It was kind of lost. Um, and I understand that what we're building here is a chiddush, I, I get it, and that's not always easy for everyone to, you know, just to naturally be open to, but I believe in it with every piece of me, that the, the shul should be a place where you walk in and you're, you, you're humbled by the place, but like Rib Shlomo said, it also has to be a place that if you walk in lost, you walk out found. <laughs> How do you create the harmony between those two what seem to be opposing emotions of one is Yira right. and Ahava. Well, that's what we're here to do in this world. Zerah Kodesh says, these are the two wings that we have. If you're missing one wing, Ahava or Yira, you can't fly. A bird can't do its thing. The process that, 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 that we've been in over the last, I don't know, six, seven years now, it's been mesmerizing. It's been, it's been, you know what, it's just been like, Simon Jacobson has a beautiful, beautiful book called Towards a Meaningful Life. Yeah, famous book. I feel like, very famous book. I feel like that that would be like our, uh, you know, if we had to have like a a longer mission, like a short, sorry, a short mission statement, like Towards a Meaningful Life. Right, right. And we're just about, mamash, in the next week or two, enter our our shul that we've been building for the last few years, a, a very... Very beautiful, big building with a mikvah on the bottom. Wow. And a base medrash for during the week, and classrooms, and a social hall, and a beautiful heichal, a beautiful main shul. And we feel so humbled and lucky, and privileged, and determined. Because we realize we're, we were gifted something that it's not to be believed. The women in our kehillah have been. Leaders, not leaders in the sense of, of, of what the chitzonius concept of leadership means when it comes to right. charisma. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. They're in the, the shul every night at 8.30, finishing the book of Tehillim until we're going inside. Wow. Really? Serious work. My wife goes, she has the key, she opens up, and, they, and they're finishing, they're finishing a safer. That's the women, are, this is what the women, eh, quietly, without live streams and everyone knowing and showing, you know. No, mamish, like the real, the, the, the basar of what's going on here. And also we've created a situation here because of two factors. Perhaps some of the chavra here, the, the, the working schedule allows them to have the mornings off. But the men and women learn every morning together. Not, not men At and women together, time. but men have, yeah, yeah. In this room, like what you see over here is Baruch Hashem. This is where we learn for now until we're moving into our, our, our shul. I just came from our shir this morning that we had a Rabbi Nachman's women's shir, and there's other shir, and there's a lot, a lot of learning here. 
So when I go back to the question you said before about education, like the kid, the kid that's growing up in Arkehila, hopefully he's being exposed to parents that are learning as part of their life all the time. Um, so the goal has been to not be apologetic over something that may seem galuti. But really, you said it best. It's not galuti. It, that's, how, that's what it was <laughs> once upon a time here before we were dispersed into galut. And the only way we survived in galut was setting up our institutions and, and kilot as the center of things. And, but now it's time to bring it home. Now it's time to bring it home. This should not be a chiddush, what we're doing here. It shouldn't be. It's wrong that it is. Right. Right. Have you heard from anyone else about uh, similar attempts being made in other communities? Not enough. Hmm. Not enough. That, bemet, honestly, brutally honestly, not enough. I will share with you one of my dreams is that once we get things going here, once we're in there, and once we really we, we, we have to Hashem, spend a few years with understanding as it's happening, the gift that we have on a, on a much more primi level, and maybe it'll happen even sooner, but I want to open up a, a, a school for this, meaning wow. not a school, not a, not a base medrash, not a koilah that you just get smicha, but a koilah where you become a manhig, where you have to go and, and, and set up shop like this, because I believe that if, and, and this is something very interesting that I've been thinking about, so many of my friends that live in America or in South Africa, or in Australia. They really have a very beautiful and comfortable, spiritually comfortable lifestyle in the way that their Yiddish guide is set up. Right. And it's fine to say, we have to understand this, they need this type of a setting to be believed shalim to move home. And there's nothing wrong with saying that's the straight out what I feel is is true, and there's nothing wrong with saying that. Don't say no. They, what's, we have to we have to set up. So they should just come. No, we're living in a world in Malasa. This is the world we're living in. You know. There's sort of a common thread in this whole conversation, which is first first figure out what the goal is, and then work back to what the tactics are that help to achieve that goal. Every week. Every Friday night. Yeah, But I think for a lot of olim, there's such a concern, and this gets back to the issue of humility. Mm-hmm. Um, there's such a concern about how things will look. And, and oh, well, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. I, I, want to, I want to prove that I'm... A real Israeli, and mm-hmm. you know, in these kinds of things, and yeah. and if the focus is the goal, all of that stuff just falls away. Yeah, I mean, people that people that come and saying, you know what, I'm I'm making aliyah, and now it means that I can wear, you know, I, I I don't have to wear a suit on Shabbos, and davening ends at ten, and I'm home drink. Right. Who cares? All those things might be true, but so. <laughs> that's nothing to do with, hopefully, it's not, hope, if that's the goal, Hashem Yishmar. Hashem Yishmar. I've got some quick questions, some of which have quick answers, and some of which you might want to 
discuss in more depth. Okay. In the cat's home, Kedem or Israeli grape juice? Kedem. No question. <laughs> Heinz or Israeli ketchup? Heinz. <laughs> Is there an Israeli food that you really, really love? I guess is, is shakshuka considered Israeli food? Uh, good point. But, yeah. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> yeah, shakshuka. Mine, yeah. Yeah. Oh, your own? My, no, no, meaning like my taste, yeah. Uh, my, my wife and kid? Could be, but yeah, shakshuka, definitely. Is there an Israeli food that is so popular and you just don't understand how anybody could like it? <laughs> Interesting. Wow. Uh, probably... Chatzilim. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I never really understood the chat of grilled of eggplants. Right. Yeah, not so much. My I life. really love it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I really a, love it. I say in Hebrew, they say, Al-tam barach en That's right. right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, other than your home, or even Efrat, what's your favorite place in Israel to be? The, the Golan. Really? Oh, yeah. What is it about it? Sanity. <laughs> I feel we spent the summer there last year. Hopefully we'll be back there this summer. Um, it's like, I guess, the Jewish version of like the, you know, the, the mountains where in New York. Right. Um, oh, just... For me, it's, it's the quiet that's there. It's the, I, I guess also the flat land that for me is, I feel, I don't know, mentally, it's much beyond me. Um, yeah, to me, it's, it's definitely the Golan. The Israeli Hebrew accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was here for a few minutes before we started, and I heard you speaking with, with beautiful Israeli-styled Hebrew. What's your take on that? Should people try to develop it? There are some people who, they, almost like the American Hebrew accent is like a badge of honor that, you know, I came here, I want people to know that I came here. You know? What's your take on Interesting. that? I never gave it too much thought because I had it at right. such a young age. Right. I'd have to try to, you know, right now I'd have to try to talk with the American <laughs> badge of honor for it to be like, Ani that to me sounds ridiculous. Should a person try? If that's what makes them feel a bit more, you know, like a, a, a less insecure, then yeah, but let's build a world that those things don't really make anyone feel more shayach or less shayach. Right, right. Any pet peeves about life in Israel? I mean, it's just going to sound too deep, maybe, but like, you know. There's no too deep. I mean, with this, it's a, a pet peeve is like, A pet peeve of mine is like literally having having walks and talks with Ruta Moavia when you're walking in your backyard here. Ah, so you know pet I mean? peeve, it, the way I meant it, yeah. was something that, that is truly like, like annoying about life here. Oh, annoying yeah, about yeah, life yeah. here. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't understand you. A pet <laughs> peeve. Wow. No, I, I can't. And not, not because I'm sure there are, I just... I can't relate to that, and, and because living here is, when a person's looking for a nice place to live in outside of the land, a lot of different factors come into play. But what's the main factor of, of that comes into play about living here? It's so deep, it's so real. So I can't, I can't even think of any. Beautiful. I think that's a great, a great way to be. 
couple more questions. Um, anything about life here that you thought would be difficult, but actually has worked out much more easily than you thought? Only one thing personally, the music. I thought that it, there would be no need for it. Hmm. And um, before I moved back here, and that's shown me how off I was like, in, terms, in that regard. Like that right. was just my pit. Um, are you kidding me? Meaning people need here, people, it's, it's water, it's, Torah, it's life. So that to me has been a, the greatest example of, you're not so, you know, you don't know what people need here. Just show up and be, be open. Um, who do you listen to? In terms of music. Oh, music. Yeah, who do you listen to? It's not on my list of questions, but I'm just thinking, wow. So the music is necessary. Okay, what music is necessary for Shlomo Katz? You know, so many of my, of my close friends are very, very famous people. So when I say, like, their names, it's because they're like my friend. It's, you know, <laughs> I got, you know I mean, what I mean? It's like you listen to Aaron's music. Who? <laughs> Aaron, like Aaron Razel. Sure, <laughs> sure. Aaron. Or Chaim, Chaim David's David, music. <laughs> I mean, Chaim da- I was on the phone with Chaim David last night, and Aaron's sister called me earlier. It's, it's my life, so... <laughs> Um, we love almost everything that's been coming out of the Banai family, the Israeli Banai family. Yeah. That we're also, we're also close to some of them. Uh, Yosef Karduner, without a doubt, who's also a very, very dear friend and close friend of my family and of my Keila as well. Um, and if I'm feeling, you know, now they have all these different stations where you can go like into chill zone or whatever like <laughs> people i not people it's just instrumentalist stuff that i listen to but no this is there's also a musician that um, many people don't know michael shapiro he's definitely very much uh and my kids love and i also do i love joey newcomb right <laughs> right interesting yeah okay what do you miss most about the place you came from nothing really Maybe, maybe, honestly, if I had to think about it, the simplicity of shopping at Target, maybe. But <laughs> right. like, I, I feel right. so okay. shallow. As I, yeah, yeah, but you yeah. know, that is, that is a, I guess that's a thing. I mean, I shouldn't say it's a shallow thing. You know, people, people need the comfort, certain comforts of knowing just like they can get things for their children without a problem. Maybe that's falls into it. But, but it's a different narrative Israel today. You really have all the different outlets here. And True. So, yeah. Two more questions. Is Aliyah for everyone? Is being Jewish for every Jew? Fine. In other words, living here is a, is a, a central aspect of being Jewish. That, that's, that's the point. One million percent. That, that's, I think, how, that's how the narrative has to change also, I think. The narrative of Aliyah has to change from being a Zionist or I tell you the truth I don't this again will be misinterpreted unless you really listen to what I'm saying I don't under, like it used to be Zionists moved to Israel like I don't under, I don't am I a Zionist I don't know look look honestly you walk into here yeah. you look at this farm and you look at this wall okay pictures of, of, of different Rabbanim yeah yeah 
would you think that I'm a Zionist? Unclear. <laughs> but I'm, but I, on, on the one hand, I'm the biggest I, Zionist. I don't know right? what it even means, right? actually. Because, because I think that, it, that, that Baruch Hashem, that it, 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 what it used to represent was the type of Jew that you are, that either believes in Israel or doesn't, and moves here or not. Some you didn't have to crawl here, running away from their homes from Ukraine. And it's not just Ukraine, it's other places. Sure. And some, or I can come, but it's home, it's, a Jew, it's, it's being Jewish. It's right. not being Israeli. And it's not, that, that's how I look at it. Kind of, it kind of leads to my last question, which is, on your uh, theoretical refrigerator, there sits one magnet with one line saying something that guides you. Mm-hmm. What does that magnet say? You leave the, the hardest one for that. <laughs> There's no such thing as despair, like Rabbi Nachman screamed out. I would say like this, and you're a living proof. Because your grandmother jumped off the train on the way to Auschwitz. And her great-grandchildren are being born in Yerushalayim. Shlomo Katz, thank you very much for returning again to your life, Aliyah story, and uh, may everything that you and your family and your kila are trying to do in this land impact as many people as possible. Man, man, what a pleasure! Thank you.